It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Emily Campagno, and this is the Fox True Crime Podcast. Earlier this week, I spoke with retired FBI agent Eddie Fryer, the lead investigator for the 1993 kidnapping and murder case of 12-year-old Polly Class. Polly's story garnered national attention, in part due to her killer's lengthy criminal history. The case would change America's criminal justice system by fueling more tough-on-crime legislation. In today's bonus episode, I'm joined by Mark Class, Polly's father. Following Polly's murder, Mark founded the Class Kids Foundation, which he created to honor Polly's legacy by advocating for laws to prevent crimes against children. His advocacy helped bring about California's three strikes law, allowing a defendant to face up to life in prison without parole if already facing two prior convictions of a serious or violent crime. He also played a crucial part in centralizing California's 911 dispatch system and was instrumental in implementing the Amber Alert system. His foundation has now embarked on a new chapter, which he'll tell us about today. Well, I've thought about you so much since our time together. I want you to know, and I still have your daughter's button on my backpack. I wear it every day. And I just want you to know how much our conversations and your time with me meant to me. And I've had a continued friendship with Eddie as well. And I just, I hold you close in my heart. And um, I'm just always wishing you the best and thinking of you, Mark. Thank you so much. So today we wanted to talk to you about the Class Kids Foundation. And Mark, you have turned what was an unfathomable tragedy into helping countless other American families and their children and those around the world with trying to prevent what happened to your family. And you established your foundation in 1994, you write, to give meaning to the death of your 12-year-old daughter, kidnap and murder victim Polly Hanaclass, and to create a legacy in her name that would be protective of children for generations to come. Can you share more about the foundation and the incredible work that you've been able to accomplish with it since then? Well, thank you. I mean, this this actually, uh, this year actually represents my 30th year of mm-hmm. advocacy. Polly was, was kidnapped and murdered 30 years ago. And when that happened, Emily, we were kind of in a in a, in, a, in a crime epidemic in this country. Um, the, the criminal justice policy had been dictated by, I guess, very progressive minds, the kinds of people that, that like to pursue prisoners' rights and, and, and give back to prisoners at the expense of victims. And it got to the point where uh, the crime statistics, both violent and property crime statistics, we're really going through the roof, and it was actually the number one issue in people's minds. And I thought that I could attack a small part of that by speaking out for kids like Polly who find themselves in those situations. And in a sense, I was fortunate because um, her story kind of rocked the globe, as you know. It, 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 would, it stretched far and wide, and, and, and we were even getting letters and inquiries from the White House. Paul Polly was still missing. So I, I tried to turn that bully pulpit into something that would that would effectively help children. 
And the very first thing we pursued was legislation. It seemed like it seemed very, very clear that the people that are doing heinous crimes need to be held accountable for those crimes. And at the time, that wasn't happening. I mean, the guy that murdered Polly had overall been sentenced to more than 200 years behind prison walls. And he was out yet again. It was sort of a turnstile system of justice that kept regurgitating these characters. So we went after that. And then we went after sex offender registry. Then we went after the Amber Alert. And I mean, this is a very abbreviated way of doing this, telling you this, but we pursued legislation for the first 10 years. Then we shifted our focus to search and rescue. And we hired somebody and made that individual available to go anywhere in the country help a family that found themselves in a situation like we had found ourselves. And this was all always at no expense. I mean, we never tried to hit up families for money. We know how difficult it would be. We ultimately even added on a housing fund and raised money so that we could help with rents and or mortgages for people that found themselves in the early stages of the desperation of a missing child. And uh, now we're transitioning again. We're not sending people around the country anymore. What we're doing, and we're in the last stages now of writing a search and rescue manual. How does a community put together an effective search effort for a missing child? And really, we try to take it from, from soup to nuts. I mean, we try to cover absolutely everything, a family's point of view, a community's point of view, the resources that are necessary, why it's important to cooperate with law enforcement, why it's important to cooperate with media, et cetera, et cetera. And we're going to be making that public probably within the next month or so. We're going to take a quick break. More from our guest after this. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Again, going back to just such an incredible legacy that your daughter has had through the foundation that you created in her honor. So let's go back to the legislation chapter. You were instrumental in enacting the three strikes law in California. And, you know, to your point, Richard Allen Davis, but for the lack of the three strikes law, he, he would not have been free to savagely to kidnap and savagely murder Polly as he did. He was a recidivist Mm -hmm. and under the three strikes Mm -hmm. law, it meant that so many recidivists were taken off the street because it had been made clear that no amount of rehabilitation would restore them to be able to participate in a society without committing these violent crimes. You were also instrumental in the centralized 911 dispatch um, channel readout so that on that night when some law enforcement were not aware of the alert that had gone out about Polly's disappearance because they were on a different channel. It meant that in those cases, everyone was on that channel, that every component of law enforcement, regardless of state or county, that they could all be informed in that moment of the emergency occurring um, and who to look out for. And the Amber Alert, that's that's the communication and the urgency level, which is getting out the alerts of a missing child, utilizing the, the public property and the transportation billboard, um, the, the ones that you can change, the ones that light up so that everyone knew within seconds because that, that initial window is what is so crucial. 
Now, in that second chapter, when you talked about the being there for and those families going through that same tragedy you did, can you share a little mm-hmm. bit more for listeners about what that looked like, what that what that exactly looked like when you would show up for those families in that time? Sure. Well, we would only uh, show up for a family if we were invited into the case. Um, we don't like to impose, uh, impose ourselves on anyone. So initially, it was families bringing in. Um, ultimately, though, we started getting calls from law enforcement agencies as well. And so everybody knew we were coming when we came. And uh, what we did is we try to organize the community so that what we start for them, they can take over and run as, as a viable entity until the case is resolved. And uh, you know as well as I do that sometimes that can go on for months Sometimes it can go on for even longer than that. So what we would do is organize. I mean, we'd organize a structure so that there would be people in a very viable chain of command so that are doing specific duties. Like we would pick out a lead coordinator, somebody who seemed to have all of the tools or the tools necessary to be a, a, a field general if necessary. And then somebody to advocate for the family. And then somebody to somebody to handle uh, social media uh, and community outreach, then somebody to handle traditional media as well, then somebody hopefully with a lot of experience, um, hopefully military or search and rescue experience to lead the various uh, searches that would be conducted. Uh, And really that's kind of the reason that we got into this thing was to put searches together. So we would try to put this, structure together, get the key core group of individuals that would be able to run it, and then to be able to move that forward. Now, over the course of the last 20 years, my goodness, over the course of the last 20 years, we've helped well in excess of a thousand families. Mm. Certainly not in all those cases did we send somebody, but because of the computers and because of the information highway that exists now, a lot of work can be done remotely. All mapping work can be done remotely. People can be available to uh, talk or intervene or get involved in cases from almost anywhere now. And most recently, and I, I just bear with me for a second, if you'll remember the Gabby Petito situation mm-hmm. a year or so ago, um, that was a case that was ultimately solved on the internet. It was solved by web sleuths. It was solved by people that wanted to get involved. And I say that because even finding where she was was a result of somebody looking through some videotape they had and identifying the vehicle she had so that this case was ultimately resolved. Otherwise, she might still be out there. But we thought that maybe we needed to revisit our plan as well, that the days of sending somebody out to help someone meaning that they won't get there probably for a week or two is, is long past the time when you really need somebody to be able to do that. So we're going to make our, our uh, new manual available online and promote it obviously so that people can grab that sucker immediately, read it, look at it, understand it and start to put together the infrastructure that will be needed to do what we would do by sending somebody out, if all of that makes sense. I don't know. 
<laughs> it makes complete sense, Mark. And actually, you know, you you summed that up yourself perfectly when when you wrote earlier, you said that the Class Kids Foundation believes that we can go far toward fulfilling our mission by distilling the best knowledge and information through a societal approach that extends from the president's cabinet table to the family's kitchen table. And you said we can win the war for our children's future by acknowledging that crimes against children deserve a high priority on our national and personal agenda. And that's exactly, I think, the that overarching concept of what you just articulated. So you are providing the tools for communities of any size of how to prioritize a crime against children that occurs in their community, of how to be prepared should that tragedy happen because the immediate deployment of that the search and rescue manual that you've written um, through your heartbreaking experience and you're now um, 30 years of experience doing it, that that's the best, that's the best amalgam of all of those years and all of those families, like that everyone now is getting the best of in terms of information and how to be prepared and how to react should that situation happen. Thank you. I, I uh, that's the goal. I mean, that's really the goal is to save kids lives and uh, really using the tools that exist now and about. Uh, I think I originally made that statement probably almost 25, 30 years ago, something like that. But I'll tell you what, Emily, at, at the end of that first chapter, the legislative chapter, within a decade, crime had been cut in half, mm. not only in California, but in the United States. And it had been cut in half because political leaders and advocates were done with the woke approach um, and believed that criminals had to be held accountable and they were being held accountable. And what we found, and really this is what the whole three strikes law was based on, is that there's a small percentage of individuals committing a large percentage of the crimes. And if you can identify those individuals and make the correct case against them, you can put them somewhere where they can't cause harm and that's exactly what happened. Unfortunately, for the last 10 years or so, all of that criminal justice legislation, um, certainly in California, has been completely undone. And we find ourselves in a situation now where crime is going up and it's once again a, a prime consideration for, um, for the people. Can you share for communities that want to have this manual, um, what would be required I'm sure you stated in the manual, but what, what's the single largest resource that these communities need? Is it X amount of funding per capita? Is it, you know, make sure you have a volunteer team of 20? What's, what's the biggest resource that would help these communities implement this plan and, and these, as you've articulated? Sure. Well, we start with five basic positions, five things that need to be done. Um, like I said, the you have to put together a structure, and it becomes a, a community volunteer search becomes necessary if the missing child has not been recovered quickly and disappeared under suspicious circumstance. It's not meant to be an operating business, but it does share a similar structure requiring the following components: administration, search and rescue, media relations, donations. Various divisions require a viable chain of command. And all positions are voluntary, meaning that they're without pay or tangible benefits. Singular goal in everybody's mind is obviously find the missing person. 
So what you need is you need a core group. You need a lead coordinator, somebody who will oversee everything. You need a family advocate who will support the family, be a law enforcement liaison, et cetera. You need a cert coordinator to be in charge of all things search and rescue, which is you. <laughs> you need a social media community awareness coordinator to develop and curate engaging content for social media platforms. I mean, when we started, there were no social media platforms, but now, now you can do more in 10 minutes on Facebook for a missing person than we were able to do in any way, shape, or form for Polly, simply because you can create a missing child page on Facebook and certainly across all of the social media platforms. It contains information, it can, it can contain video, it can contain endless pictures, it can contain updates, it can link uh, articles. Uh, it's just absolutely extraordinary. So that's very important. And then you need a media coordinator, somebody that can tackle television, news, and newspapers, the, 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 the traditional kinds of media. I mean, it turns out that you don't think about it, but something like 90% of people are listening to their radio when they're driving their car. So what a great source of, of, uh, of, of spreading the word that is, you know? Then you need a donations coordinator because obviously you need money to put all of this stuff together. You need to pay for a structure. You need to get phones. You probably will end up paying for utilities. So you need somebody that is tagged up enough and close enough with the community to be able to uh, tap those various resources and obviously, you know, make very uh, public thank yous for, for people that, that do donate because these kinds of efforts are totally dependent upon the community itself supporting itself. And I think every community wants to do that. Sometimes they don't know that they have to do that, but uh, you know, I, so if, if somebody were to download this and start putting that whole structure together before there was any kind of a problem, it would, uh, it would again, jumpstart the situation tremendously and, and I think raise the possibility of, of a successful uh, recovery um, just unbelievably. Because as you have written, Mark, a mile a minute, that's how fast your child can disappear. And frankly, even even faster. Um, it's heartbreaking and the suddenness with which an entire world can change. Um, I think it's difficult to appreciate unless you've lived through it or been in a community through it. So for your efforts in the foundation, you have now affected so much change. So communities are in a better position. They are safer. They're better informed. And now they're better equipped not only to prevent this kind of tragedy, but to react if it ever happens again. And listeners, I want to direct you to the foundation. It's classkids.org, K-L-A-A-S-K-I-D-S dot O-R-G. That's where you can learn more and support and be part of Mark's effort. And Mark, I just wanted to close by asking you to share a little bit about Polly. Um, I still think of her Whenever I see Alf, I think of her. And like I said, I, I wear her, her oh, button with her sweet face <laughs> on my backpack every day. And um, she has had a big imprint on my life, not only having been from the Bay Area, but because of my friendship with you and 
um, that I've been honored and blessed by you trusting me with your story and your perspective through the years. And I I just wanted to make sure that listeners got a taste of who Polly Hannah class was through your eyes, Mark. Well, I mean, obviously Polly was my only child and she was the love of my life. I, I, the, probably the best day I ever had was the day that my daughter was born. I, I held her in my arms and, and just melted. The most immediate and profound connection I've ever had with anybody. And she certainly lived up to her part of the bargain. She was just a beautiful, sweet little girl who was very curious, who, uh, who started out shy and was working her way out of that whole thing as, as, as she uh, approached puberty, I guess. Um, she was finally stable after having moved around for years and years with her mother. She was finally stable in Petaluma, California, where she was able to get involved in her community and, and actually find a bunch of friends. And she was really the happiest she had ever been. She was in a local theater community. She was in her school band. She had a, a close little clique of girls that she absolutely adored and hung out with. Um, she, I, I love teaching her things. I love teaching her how to swim. It took me a whole season, but boy, she could swim when we were done with that and taught her obviously how to ride her bike. And we were working on baseball um, because she wanted to play with boys. Um <laughs> Shortly before she was kidnapped, she was a she was a performer. She loved to do fake news uh, with her girlfriends. Uh, they were always laughing. Uh, she had a pretty little voice. She was a, a, a budding musician, and obviously, and she, she was a great, a, really a good actress. I mean, she could she could do a, a first read on a script, and you would think she'd been studying it for months. So you know that's. From my perspective, that's who Polly was, and and uh, I think about her every day, and and uh, her presence in my world changed me in so many better ways I can't even describe. And through you, she remains such a bright star, Mark, and she's changed your days for the better, and you've changed so many families' days for the better. Um, God bless you. Thank you for sharing about Polly with me. Thank you for being a part of my life. You always have space with me. You know that. If there's ever anything that you need or space for something to be amplified, I'm here for you um, as your friend and as your ally and as an advocate for the good works that you do every day. And um, I'm just, I'm so grateful for you. And I'm always praying for your peace and comfort. Thank you so much, Emily. To hear more stories like this, you can listen to our past episodes on the Fox True Crime Podcast. Go to foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts to listen and subscribe. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.